Hello, and welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I am not your usual co or your usual host, John Negroni, unfortunately. I am your usual co-host, Flash, and a writer for Cinema Blend and Cinemaholics, but not so unfortunately, I am joined by a very special guest once again on the show. It is Sam Nolan. Hey, Sam. Hey, Will. Glad to be here. I noticed that you said you are not, you are unfortunately not John Negroni. Yeah. Does that, do I take that to mean that you wish you were John sometimes? Uh, I, I would rather not divulge, but... <laughs> that's that's a whole that that's a conversation for my therapist not not for you and any of our listeners i'd say that's a that's a that's a whole other episode i guess we can dive all those can of worms we've yet to open sure uh but how you doing sam not too bad honestly glad to be talking about a whole lot of movies this week we got a full episode here yeah especially for a january episode i'd say yeah i think january is starting to slowly become reclaimed and i'm liking the the way it's going Somewhat. I mean, Januarys are always kind of weird because it's like, I mean, at least for people like us who are like, I don't know, if, are you technically in the Midwest? I'm not really in the Midwest, but people in Pennsylvania claim they're the Midwest. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm I'm in yeah. Colorado, so I guess that pretty much qualifies for all intents and purposes. Um, sure. But yeah, the uh, January is usually viewed as like this huge dumping ground of everything that Hollywood's not proud of. Um, right. But if you know where to look, there's some real gems. And I think we're going to talk about a couple of them this week alone. For people who, like, don't live in the major cities, the major markets like New York and L.A., January season is kind of weird because it's like a mix of those smaller movies coming to main run theaters in our area and then just, you know, traditionally very poor or mediocre movies coming in. So it's like an influx of, like, brilliant movies and not so great movies. And like you said, like a lot of under the radar movies that if you know where to look, you'll find some quality stuff. So it's just a very weird month. It's a real mishmash of quality uh compared to other parts of the year so it makes for some makes for some interesting discussion hopefully yeah but uh before we get into any of those movies i'm just gonna say real quick you can find more episodes of cinemaholics on including our full archive here at cinemaholics.com and you can write in to the show anytime by emailing us at cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com and you can support us directly by becoming one of our monthly patrons at cinemahol or excuse me by at patreon.com slash cinemaholics so yeah uh, if you can't tell already, John Negroni is out because he is uh, currently at Sundance seeing a lot of movies. Oh, yeah. um, you can if you follow him on Letterboxd or on Twitter, you can probably get a few of those opinions already. But he is going to at some point, either a bonus episode or a main app when he comes back, talk about all the things he's seen. And yeah, he's seen a lot of things. So uh, he'll have a lot to say about that. And I'll let him say whatever he has to say about those movies, good or bad. But uh, until then. I'll let you take the floor, Sam, because you got to see a movie I talked about last week or actually two weeks ago called Varda by Agnes, which is uh, unfortunately the last film from uh, filmmaker Agnes Varda, who uh, passed away just last year. And this was a film that she made just reflecting a lot of her life, just her career and all that. And I wanted to see what you had to say about it because I was quite taken by it. And I hope you were, too. As last as like swan songs go. It really couldn't have been any better. Obviously, of course, it's a shame when anyone that we look up to uh, is unfortunately no longer with us. Um, but this is a real celebration of, yes, Agnes, uh, Agnes Varda's individual career, but also just how brilliant art can be. There's a real joy to this movie, uh, a real joy to be taken in just how big the world out there is uh, and how much there is to explore that it really got to me. And um, I know this documentary has been out and about for a while, just in various uh, places. I only just got it in one little tiny theater here for a week. It was well worth the wait. And I think it's it's worth seeking out whether or not you know uh, terribly much about Agnes Varda's career. I have a cursory knowledge of it, uh, nothing extensive by any means. But I, I really this really got me fascinated to see uh, just just how much she had to offer the cinematic landscape. And I think it is well worth seeking out if you can get a chance it was it's one of my favorite uh documentaries of recent memory for sure yeah for sure i mean i had only seen one of her films prior to this uh to my detriment because i should check up on her other films and um including i think most famously cleo from five to seven is her most famous film uh depending on you know if how you feel about her documentary work but uh, yeah, I, I definitely would recommend it, whether you are a diehard fan or someone who isn't very familiar with the work. I think it's pretty accessible for both audiences. So, like you said, very, uh, very much worth your watch if you can find the chance to see it. 
And uh, I, yeah, I was just going to say, um, I also got a chance to talk or to see a film that John Negroni talked about, uh, I think back in October, if I'm remembering correctly, mm-hmm. which is Pedro Almodovar's uh, newest film, Pan Glory, which is currently, if I'm not mistaken, nominated for Best Foreign Film yes. at the Oscars this year, as well as Best Actor for Antonio Banderas. Um, Damn right. Yeah, both are very well deserved. Um, I believe you've seen this film already, if I'm not mistaken, right, Sam? Yeah, I saw it back in its original run. It was it was really high up on my honorable mentions uh, when we did our best of 2019 list a few weeks ago. I love the hell out of it, and the, and Almodovar is another filmmaker I don't have terribly like a terribly extensive knowledge of, uh, but this really hooked me from moment one, and I'm glad it did because it has it has a really fascinating ending of the kind that I've not mm-hmm. seen in any movie I think so. Uh, this is, I'm glad this is getting some more attention. Thanks to the award nominations. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating to pair this one up with Varda Bagnus cause it's also a very self-reflective and autobiographical film for Pedro Navar. Um, I'm a lot more familiar with his recent work, but I've seen, I believe every film he's made since, uh, Volver, which came out in 2006. So, um, I'm definitely familiar with his films and I think I mentioned this, um, maybe to John's annoyance last time we talked about this film, uh, I, the film follows a lot of the like kind of familiar, uh, themes and tropes that can be found in a Pedro Almodovar film, but I don't say that to be, uh, critical of the film. It's just that the film, I think tackles a lot of the same ideas that you can expect in his films. But for me, uh, especially kind of compared to some of his recent films, I, I was really taken by this. I mean, some of it's a little fragmented to my, uh, not quite to my liking, but I think, uh, Antonio Banderas's performance really ties us all together. And I also think having it be such a personal, re- reflective film really makes this such an emotional, beautiful film for Pedro Aldefar. And it really, it, it took me in quite a few uh, emotional directions, I'll say. And I was really taken by it, as I was expecting to. So uh, I believe it's on VOD right now and streaming, or at least like you can find it um, on home release at some point. And I know I saw it, thankfully, in a... Uh, uh, second run theatrical release because I missed the first theatrical run. Unfortunately, it was just October and a lot of things were happening. So I was very yeah. glad to see us in theaters and I would definitely recommend it if you had the chance to see it. So with that, uh, we're just going to talk real quick about some surprisingly uh, noteworthy short films that have come out in the past week or two. Uh, just because like, I don't know about you, Sam, but it just feels like we've been kind of blessed with just these random weird short films from high-end yeah. filmmakers. Uh, one we've both seen and one I've only seen. Uh, and the first we'll talk about real quick, which is Goldman v. Silverman, which is the new short film from the Safdie brothers with Adam yep. Sandler, who they previously worked with for their newest film, Uncut Gems. And Sam, do you want to take uh, <laughs> a gander or, or a shot or uh, what this, the short film's about in your own words? It's, it's actually rather simplistic. Uh, there are two street performers, one of whom played by Adam Sandler, one of whom played by uh, Ben Safdie, one of the two Safdie yeah. brothers. Uh, Adam Sandler is dressed all in gold, has a face spray-painted gold, has this gold mask. Yeah, i.e. gold man. Yes, gold man. <laughs> and uh, Ben Safdie is all silver. Go figure. And yeah. it's just this, at first, playful little, like you know, hey, get off my territory. This is where I am, uh, mm-hmm. stealing uh, attention from one another. Uh, and then it ends rather suddenly. And then that's kind of mm-hmm. it. The movie just ends right, the movie, the short film just ends right yeah. there. It's really simplistic, but I think there's really a lot a lot of craft to be found here. It's got that same kind of down low, gritty, this is like, this is where the real stuff happens kind of vibe that Uncut Gems uh, and there are other more high-profile movies have. It's short, and so it doesn't really have a lot of time to get into the depth of what's going on, but it's not that like there is that much to begin with. So it's mm-hmm. visually striking and just kind of elegant in a way that I think not a lot of short films are, especially not from such big directors. That's not a thing you see a lot, is, uh, is directors that have made it into feature films go back to shorts, not very often mm-hmm. at least, so it's pleasant to see this. Yeah, and I'm hoping this is a, tr- a trend that continues for fairly high-profile filmmakers, as we'll talk about with another short film that came out this week. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I will echo a lot of what you said. It's just nice to kind of see a weird, random little short from two filmmakers mm-hmm. who seem to be very much on the rise right now. And I don't know if it really means anything, 
Like it just could have been yeah. just these guys just messing around, you know, on Times Square, just wanting to do something else with Adam Sandler. Uh, it could have some deeper meaning, particularly with the award ceremony. I don't quite know. But yeah, I think the thing that I really liked about the short film was that it showcased that a lot of the comedy that was found throughout Uncut Gems seemed pretty sincere. And that like, I feel like these guys have like a really funny comedy, like direct comedy that they could make. Uh, and it seems like they enjoy this kind of like uh, intense thriller vein that they've been doing in their last couple of films. But um, I feel like there's like a really sharp, dry, uh, dark, like Cohen-esque comedy in there. Because I, I definitely yeah. thought a lot about um, A Serious Man while I was watching Uncut Gems. So I, I would be very curious to see them tackle some more direct comedies. But as you said, the ending is kind of abrupt and melancholy in a way that kind of took me aback when I was watching it, but I think I've grown to appreciate it more in retrospect. So uh, is there anything else you have to say about Goldman v. Silverman before we move on to the other short film I was going to talk about? Uh, not specifically. I think we're good to go on. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Like I said, I don't want to talk longer than the film itself. Uh, so sure. I think that's a wise decision. But uh, the second short film that we were talking about or alluding to was a David Lynch short film that was actually released in film festivals, I believe, like in 2017. And then just randomly on David Lynch's birthday, they dropped it on Netflix, which is um, the 17-minute 17, 17 short film called What Did Jack Do?, which is, uh, without exaggeration, just literally David Lynch in a black and white short film interrogating a monkey, a literal monkey that talks with his voice, uh, who is being accused of murder in like a train station or like some sort of uh, holding place while he's trying to flee wherever he's from. It's one of those things where it's like your mileage may vary. I don't quite know if depending who's listening to this, I don't know where people will stand on David Lynch. He is kind of divisive as far as, you know, being a fairly abstract, weird filmmaker of high profile. And I can understand for some people uh, that may not be their thing, but um, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was quite fun. It took me a little bit to get into it, and I thought it dragged a little bit in the middle as well. But the moments that stand out are fun. And like I get, like I said before with the um, Sathy brother short Goldman V Silverman, it's also just directly really funny in a way that I think proves that I think David Lynch has more of a sense of humor than people give him credit for. <laughs> um, I, I, I can't imagine anyone doing this premise in a way that's even the least bit serious. And <laughs> uh, there's a lot of just really weird off kilter uh, one liners in this, uh, including a oddly kind of beautiful musical number with the monkey that uh, is just exquisite in a way that only David Lynch could make it. So if you have the time, it's huh. 17 minutes. Um, highly recommend that if you like David Lynch. If it's not your thing, I understand. But I just kind of wanted to put that out there because I think it's I think it's going to win some people over more than they're anticipating. And I think that the uh, log line with the premise is enough to intrigue people. <laughs> and, you know, it's a fairly low risk thing to check out. It's 17 minutes. So it's sure. on Netflix. If you're interested, I hope you check it out. So with that, uh, let's talk about our main review, which is The Gentleman, which is the newest film written and directed by Guy Ritchie. Now, Guy Ritchie first came on the scene back in the 90s with a low-budget British film called Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. And he has, you know, been fairly prominent in a certain kind of British gangster genre until, I want to say, like, I mean, he kind of bounce in and out of it in the 2000s but in 2009 he made Sherlock Holmes and since then he's been basically in the studio system ever since making films like The Man from Uncle, uh King Arthur, the second Sherlock Holmes film and uh last year he made Aladdin which wasn't a critical yeah. success but certainly made a lot of money. That was that was kind of the tipping point of like like it was almost as if Guy Ritchie hit critical hollywood mass with that mm-hmm. uh to the point where i really like having only seen a couple of guy Ritchie movies i he's like a non-entity when it comes to the personality of aladdin uh sure. so it's it's oh it always struck me as such a weird directorial decision um but yeah. here we are guy Ritchie, hot off the set of aladdin uh mm-hmm. less than a year later uh sort of going back sort of a return to form uh so to speak with the gentleman, which is this, which is this raucous personality-injected gangster comedy, 
mm-hmm. with an all-star cast that's a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the type of script that I feel like Guy Ritchie's probably been sitting on this for a while, at least in some form or another. I, I don't know the backstory behind this film, but he made it fairly quickly after Aladdin, and I feel like he's probably been wanting to return to this kind of gangster thing that he's been known for for a while. But then, like, you know, like Warner Bros. like, hey, you want to make this King Arthur movie? He's like, okay, fine, I'll make the King Arthur movie. And then Disney's like, hey, do you want to make Aladdin for us? He's like, okay, sure, I'll make Aladdin. <laughs> they definitely, like you were alluding to, feel like director for hire mode for him. There are moments in each of those. Like, I think the beginning of King Arthur, for instance, feels very Guy Ritchie-esque. And then there's, like, a moment in Aladdin where he is, uh, like, running from, thie- or, uh, from, like, some sort of law enforcement. And he's, like, you know, like, doing parkour around the city. And those feel like infused by Guy, Ritch- Guy Ritchie's influence. But otherwise, like you said, yeah. both those movies feel very much like Guy Ritchie's kind of on the back burner, just, you know, doing what he needs to to fill in the studio obligations. That may or may not be the case, but that's what it feels like watching them. And this movie yeah. just felt like a creative burst from him where he's just like, let me just do uh, my thing real quick. Just let me just get this out <laughs> of my system. It's been pent up for so long. Right. And I think that kind of comes as an advantage and a uh, disadvantage for Guy Ritchie. And I'll talk about that more in a little bit. But uh, Sam, do you have like a quick run through of the plot for the gentleman? Uh, well, I don't know about quick, but I'm putting uh, on the spot. Just, just yeah. The yeah. basic idea behind the gentleman is that it's modern day England and we yeah. have Matthew McConaughey who plays uh, an American and everyone mm-hmm. in this movie gets to be their actual nationality which is pleasant because there's so many movies where where that doesn't get to be the case but here we get the Mm -hmm. full force of everyone's uh everyone's place of heritage so matthew mcconaughey plays an american immigrant in england who from a young age we find out has been dealing in the uh marijuana distribution industry he says stuff like sweet mary jane's my greatest vice and uh (laughs) we find out that he is looking to retire from this uh, dangerous life of crime and wants to find a successor and along the way just runs into so much trouble, as you might expect, uh, among whom are Hugh Grant as this cheeky, skeevy, blackmailing photographer guy. Uh, his bodyguard is played by Charlie Hunnam, who has an enviable array of facial hair in this movie. I cannot get enough mm-hmm. of it. Uh, mm-hmm. His wife is played by Michelle Dockery from Downton Abbey, who is this just outspoken cockney. Is she cockney? Well, the way he describes when Michelle Dockery first shows up, he says, oh, yes. And now it's time for me to introduce the cockney yeah. Cleopatra to his cowboy Caesar. Fair enough. Love, yeah, that yeah. is that is one bit of dialogue of many that I really dug the hell out of in this movie. Uh, mm. And it's really just this twisting, winding uh, jumping back and forth between time periods, adventurous feeling story of how this is all going down. Uh, and it's told in multiple timelines and remains remarkably coherent all the way through. I was really impressed with that. And it's just, it's a really, really good time for most of it. I, I was very impressed by the gentleman. Yeah, I mean, I was overall pretty engaged with the film, uh, certainly more so than his last few films, because like we were saying, it just feels like he is actually at the wheel here. It feels like a through and through Guy Ritchie movie. And there is that playfulness, that sense of like cheeky fun throughout this in a way that, you know, feels fairly emboldened and liberated for him. Like he feels like he can do something that is his style. It's like fairly modest and small budget enough that he can, you know, get away with a few things that he couldn't probably otherwise. But I guess for me, I'm, I'm ultimately favorable to the film, but not maybe not to the extent that you are because I did find the film coherent, but I also found like the objective of the film kind of felt uh, inconsistent as far as the tone of it didn't feel as consistent, I guess, for me. I, I definitely enjoyed moments of it a lot. Uh, I definitely think the characters themselves are what endeared me to the film as far as the well, not only the characters, also the performances by the cast here uh, really get to have the sense of fun that I think Guy Ritchie is trying to strive for here. But um, I guess the humor and the tone of the film kind of changes so much that a lot of the jokes don't really land well with me. Some of them do. Like, I think there's a lot of good laughs in here, but there's also a lot of moments that feel uh, like he is like trying to be liberated. But it also feels like the script feels like from like, I don't know, like 
2013 and like yeah. it's also like almost like trying to be edgy in a way that's like going against the pc thing which is you know i mean there are ways to go about that i'm not trying to critique comedy here necessarily but some of the jokes just feel like they're going in a direction that feels like I don't know, kind of spiteful in a weird way. Like there's a lot of like kind of like underlying homophobia with the characters that kind of rub me the wrong way. Mm. And then like certainly Hugh Grant's character is meant to be fairly racist. Yeah, I, that that's the part that bothered me the most. A lot of which is at yeah. the expense of uh, Henry Golding's character. Right. Um, who plays like a rival uh, sort of up and coming gangster on the scene who wants to sabotage Matthew McConaughey's plan. Um, right. that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I don't agree so much with the inconsistent tone. I found it to be pretty streamlined throughout, but yeah, I can, okay, s- I can fair. see what you're saying with the humor. I think there were parts where it went a little too far. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I overall had a pretty good time with this. I, I think the movie itself has enough personality and that it, it's entertaining enough or at least amusing enough that I was with it for the most part. There's just a couple of moments of it where it felt like it didn't quite work for me comedically. And also there are times where it felt like Guy Ritchie was like, trying a little too hard to return to his former style to the point where there are certain moments in this where it felt like almost like a parody of a Guy Ritchie movie for me. Mm. I don't know if you felt that way or not, but um, it was only a few moments and it just, I don't know. It, it It's refreshing enough to the point where I'm glad that Guy Ritchie is still allowed to kind of make movies that feel true to his style. And I don't think this is quite like lock sock level or even like snatch level, but I do feel like, if it's this or it's going to be like Aladdin two for him, I'd much rather he do stuff like this. Um, oh I don't know gosh. how you felt about Aladdin, but I found it to be a slog. And I was really, I was not throughout. a fan either. But when you said that, yeah. I just imagine Guy Ritchie doing a live action version of the straight to video Aladdin sequels. And that just, well, apparently they're like, making a second Aladdin. So it might happen. I don't know what the story is going to be. I mean, I they have to do yeah. something. Well, I heard, I heard, and we're off on a tangent here, but the, I yeah. heard years ago that the plan for was not to do a live action adaptation of Aladdin. It was to do like an, an origin story for the genies. And I wonder if they're still Why? going with that angle. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I have no idea. the The lamp is all the origin story you need. It would just be. Right. It would be miserable to watch because we all know how it would end. It would end with this poor genie yeah. get imprisoned for what ten thousand years? Isn't that what he says? And it would just Gives be completely such a pointless. In the neck. We would only learn like really intricate, specific details about the movie that I can assure you would not make the experience better. But we digress. Yeah, the it's gentleman. The so- <laughs> it's a solo complex where it's like, don't you want to know? And I like solo fine. I think I like it a little more yeah. than you do. But it's like, Way don't more. you care about how he got his gun? No. It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you right now. I really don't care how Han Solo got his last name or how yeah. he came up with the idea to call Chewbacca Chewy. That is not pertinent right. information. Uh, yeah. I mean, that film, it's good. I mean, if it's going to be a prequel of the genie, it's going to be so depressing. It's just like, hey, do you want to hear about how this mystical being got enslaved? Yeah. It's like, no. <laughs> and is forced to I, grant I, I, wishes to whatever... Right? poor son of a gun picks up the lamp and right. has no sympathy whatsoever it's not gonna yeah. be a good idea yeah come to think of it there is no bad. way to do it just just cut it off it's fine disney we got it we right. see your point please try well, now they're doing else. now they're doing bambi apparently did you hear about that no kidding they're oh gonna goodness. do uh basically what they did with the uh, lion king but with bambi oh wow so, so. Look forward to that, I suppose. I have, um, I have but, no doubt that yeah. it will be not not a fun experience. Yeah, I don't I don't anticipate it to be either. But yeah, uh, going here. back to the gentleman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I don't really have a, too much to say about this, which kind of makes it a little bit, I guess, of a lackluster main review, just because I think it's really enjoyable for what it is. I don't think I've really thought about it much since I've seen it, but mm. I think it's fun for what it is. And I, I like it. Like I said, I like the characters. It's clever enough to the point where I don't think it's like, you know, brilliant, but I think it's enjoyable for what it's going for. It's like a really solid, like B level movie for me. And mm. I like, I like this level of guy Ritchie where he's like clearly having fun and infusing his style into this. than whatever he's doing with studios for the most part, but yeah. where do you stand? Sam? I, I, I really, I don't, I don't want to gloss over the positive of this, uh, this movie. I really think uh, one thing I didn't touch on too much is how, the way it presents the plot in in the sort of non-linear kind of stuff where it makes you think it yep. stuff is going one way and it ends up going another. 
uh, and it it all there are all these double crosses and reversals. It's it's almost like a uh, like some sort of a mystery thriller at points where where you're not sure what's going to happen next or what has already happened in some cases. Guy Ritchie finds a way to make that structure feel exciting in a way that the in a way uh, that we would be like relating to the characters like at any given moment we're sort of we we're sort of in the place of one of the characters in the scene just in terms of what we know uh, and yeah. that makes it really exciting to watch on a moment to moment basis to the point where I thought it was winding down and I realized oh there's a half hour left in this movie there's a lot more to go right. and I was more excited than I was distraught by that uh, so I really don't want to undersell how just how exciting of a time this is at the movies. There, there's not a lot of movies I see that I come out of the out of the auditorium just coasting on how much of a fun time I had, uh, in spite of the shortcomings throughout, which we already touched on. If you can look past those, and if you can't, I understand because they're mm-hmm. they're there and it feels kind of regressive. And I think it it, it really could have done without those things. If you can get past them, it's a real treat. Um, yeah, as far as like the the stuff you're talking about. I just like those little moments I feel like are pretty disappointing in the scheme of things. Cause like you said, they kind of take away from what is otherwise a fairly accessible crowd pleasing film. Yeah. And it just feels like weird, like little random tangents that they don't really add anything to the film either. It just feels like random kind of targets that don't really need to be there. Uh-huh. Um, and just, it's like meant to give the film a bit of an edge, but it just feels kind of dated in that respect. But, um, fair enough. Yeah, I don't really have too much more to add other than that. I yeah. mostly agree with what you said. Maybe I'm just not quite as positive as you are, but overall, Maybe I did so. enjoy this. But yeah. uh, the, what's your final the last grade thing, for it? The last thing I'll say is uh, it does something that I've had uh, some trouble with in the past, which is the whole mob underworld movie. A mm-hmm. lot of the times, I just find myself not really engaged with what's going on uh, just because I can't relate to that lifestyle. Uh, Martin Scorsese notwithstanding. All that stuff is next level. I, I I know you're playing coy, Sam. I know you have a lot of underling dealings that you can't talk about on the air. I I I've signed an NDA. I, <laughs> when the time comes, you'll know. But regardless, uh, sure. I just find myself not getting as engaged with those movies as I think some others are. This movie, at least in my eyes, found a way to make all that stuff really exciting. Just the detailed sort of monotony of it. It found a way to make that exciting in a way that didn't ask me to like sympathize or advocate you know the evil the evil doings that they're engaging in it's really cinematic in a way that i was honestly not expecting i was just expecting this to mm-hmm. kind of be a dumb you know star-studded thingy that would go on for two hours and then end but i was really impressed by it so i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a you know what? I'm honestly going to give it a really high B plus. Uh, I would I oh, wow. wholeheartedly recommend the gentleman. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not quite there. Like I said, um, I'm going to be more B minus on it. Um, okay. But I will agree with you that. I mean, I think as far as how it juggles the ensemble, because, you know, it's not easy a thing to do. And I think Guy Ritchie makes it look a lot easier than it might otherwise. Um, and I think it's a credit to him uh-huh. and, you know, his experience and talent. But uh, yeah, I guess it was a little more hit and miss with it. Like some parts of this really worked for me. Some parts of it felt a little derivative, felt a little, um, you know, a little annoying, a little bit disappointing as far as how it approaches either the comedy or just uh, just the tone of it. Like I said, I guess we'll just go. We'll disagree on as far as the tone. But um, yeah, there's a lot to appreciate here. I definitely like I said, I think it will win over a crowd. I think there's a lot of amusing, fun moments that work. And uh, yeah, it's it's a good time. I mean, certainly for what you can expect with a uh, January release. I think like comparing this to um, say last week's bad boys for life, which a lot of people found refreshingly fun. I wasn't quite there. I found it kind of generic and dull. This, I think I was a little more in line with as far as what their uh, praises were. I felt like where they found like that movie kind of be refreshingly kind of laid back and enjoyable in a fun action packed sort of way. That's what I got with this movie to some extent. So, you know, what you can get for January, it's pretty good. And especially for what we've seen from Guy Ritchie of late, I think it's a lot of fun. So, yeah, I think it's a pretty good place to wrap it up. Let's talk about a totally different film as yeah. far as uh, um, <laughs> what you can expect from The Gentleman, which is well, the... Let's talk about the best movie of the year, shall we, Will? Well, so far, yeah. Three let's, weeks let's, in, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Three weeks into the year of, of a decade. Yeah. Um, which is Richard Stanley's uh, return to cinema. 
color out of space based yeah. on the H.P. Lovecraft short story of the same name starring Nicolas Cage and a few others that I'm blanking on off the top of my head besides Tommy Chung. Yeah. The film itself, uh, I don't know how much I can give away without really diving into spoilers, but the long and short of the premise Mm -hmm. is that there's a family kind of living out in the backwoods area, modest, pleasant life. Nicolas Cage's character inheriting this land from his father. And they're living off the grid. They make a point of saying yeah. that how this is this is separated from all civilization. We have we have completely self-sustaining technology and stuff. They're mm-hmm. raising alpacas for no particular reason, yeah. uh, which is a detail that comes up a couple of times to great to a great variety of effects. Oh, and, for sure, yeah. Uh, one of the first things we see is that Nicolas Cage's daughter, played by let me look up her name here, played by Madeline Arthur. Uh, is out by a river, like mm-hmm. doing incantations by the river. Yeah, like doing and, a witching trial, basically by herself. Yeah, I think she a says. A witching yeah. trial, and yeah, this uh, scientist. What what did what do they specify? It's a not a. It's not like a, a geologist. Well, he's a like testing. That's what they say. Yeah, he's like testing the water at least at one point in the story. But I don't. I forget that's the main uh, reason why he's there. But yeah. It's uh, Julian Hillard plays this character named Jack Gardner, who just happens upon uh, Nicolas Cage's daughter and is like, hey, what's up? She's like, no, nothing. (laughs) And uh, we go back. We see this house. It's a very quaint uh, house, all things considered. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the weirdest. That was a weird part of the experience with this movie is that you go in knowing that it's a Nicolas Cage movie and that it's based on a Lovecraft story and that it's directed by Richard Stanley. The first 40 to 45 minutes of this movie are relatively low-key compared to what you might oh, yeah. expect just inherently off of that premise. Uh, right. Yeah, that took me aback when I was watching it. I was just like, is this weirdly like pretty tame, kind of calm? Yeah. At first, I thought it was a miscalculation. I'm like, okay, if the whole movie is going to be like this, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to be with it the whole way. And then, uh, a, a little ways into the plot, after we're introduced to the main cast of characters, a meteorite lands in their front yard and not just any meteorite it's got it's illuminating this strange hue that is constantly changing Mm -hmm. uh to the point where the entire family is sort of taken by the beauty of it nicholas cage especially and they invite some law enforcement and uh the the hydrologist jack gardner out to investigate see what's going on and weird things start happening overnight it starts affecting the land around them and it slowly builds to this point where at like the 45 minute mark for 15 solid minutes we get some of the best nicholas cage wildness I've seen mm-hmm. in a long time. And the best part yeah. is watching the rest of the family try to stay caught up with Nicolas Cage. It's a real delight to see that turn take place. Uh, I could I could quote some lines, but I'll spare that. I'll spare the, the excitement sure. of seeing it all unfold beforehand. I don't know if you felt the same way, Will. Did you think that it paid off seeing Nicolas Cage evolve into his true self? It's almost like fan service, I thought. To extent, yeah. I mean, to... Um clarify a little bit I, this is produced by the same producers as mandy um which yeah. i think gives you a little bit of an idea of what you can expect it's not quite as atmospheric uh as mandy but i think it's yeah, a little more narratively driven yeah. yeah it's a little more narratively driven but that's not really saying too much as far as what the plot is um <laughs> but it does confirm my thesis that i think short stories work better as feature films than books or like yes. novels but um yes. that's neither here nor there that's a whole other tangent i could go on uh, yeah. But I will say, you know, going off what you're saying, um, yeah, when the movie was starting off, I was kind of like, okay, you know, this is fine. It's kind of, you know, it's like, okay, starting off, you know, I mean, it's nothing wrong. It just was kind of, you know, taking its time a little bit. But I think that was appropriate in the long run, just establishing this kind of quaint family life uh, in a way that felt more naturalistic than I was anticipating. Because I've seen, in my lifetime, I've seen a lot of bad Nicolas Cage movies. I've seen sure. a lot of Nicolas Cage movies, period. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but I've seen like I I would say like without exaggeration I think like eighty percent of Nicolas Cage's movies maybe more. Mm, um, and it's it's you'll you'll go through some stuff when you watch Nicolas Cage movies and um and for the most part like when you watch Nicolas Cage movie 
these days like you'll get like maybe like 15 percent of like a good time and then like the rest kind of have to slog through like you know some kind of dull meandering scenes i really appreciate these producers seeing the channel like they know what nicholas cage is about like it's he's at this point now and i was talking about this with my buddy who i saw the movie with like he he's not at a point now where he can kind of play like the characters he played in like a family man or like the weatherman where he's like a normal guy like he's so larger yeah. in life at this point that like he can't really play like a quote-unquote normal person anymore i feel like which made the and beginning think, of this movie so weird right and i think i think the movie does that smart where it's like yeah. i think the filmmakers who play with nicholas cage best like even you know even beyond like mandy in this movie like something like spider-man into spider-verse but they kind of like play up the like neo-noir yeah. aspect where like you, you play up that larger in life aspect Nicolas Cage. I think you can do really something special with that. And I, that's what I really appreciate about this film too, is that I think they kind of take their time because they know that if they spend the whole weird Nicolas Cage thing too early, then, you know, it's kind of for not like, it's like if you, if you spend that check too early on, then the rest of the movie is just going to kind of be a dull mess. And I like yeah. that the movie in the long run, kind of builds up to that point. And then there gets to a time where he's just like, biting into like tomatoes angrily and like yeah. uh doing without exaggeration a uh donald trump impersonation which seems to be intentional in a way that i don't know if i can say without diving into spoilers but um yeah i i really enjoy like you know i'm a nicholas cage fan through and through not ironically yeah. i think he's a lot of fun and i think this movie is some of the most fun i've had with him in a good way in a good while I think I think you're uh, absolutely yeah. right. There is there is a scene if you'll remember in Mandy, there was a scene where Nicolas Cage like the entire amount the the entire plot sort of catches up to him in this one scene in a bathroom. If you've seen it, you'll yeah. know the one I'm talking about. There's a similar scene here in a car that is one of the biggest laughs I've ever heard yeah. in a theater. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. And it comes in a point in the movie where the drama is not so serious that it's mm-hmm. still so much fun to laugh at this. Same thing with the tomato bit. Uh, there's this yeah. part where where he gets newscasting? home after, uh, after going to a hospital, and there's just, oh, yeah. there's just this litany of one-liners that I will not, yeah. that I will not ruin. It's brilliant the way it, unle- it uncages the cage, essentially, is mm-hmm. the phrase I used in my review. And then what True. happens after that, and I'll be vague about this because it's, it's plot development and the whole thing. But the last, like, I want to say 45-ish minutes is, like, genuinely effective horror of the kind I haven't seen in a long time. It's really, really gripping in a way that so many horror movies just aren't because it doesn't, it, it sort of comes out of nowhere. It gets, things get really serious and really dire all of a sudden in a way that's really mysterious that we that we're not quite sure how to even deal with it really gets to the heart of how terrifying it is to not know what the right thing is to do in a crisis Mm -hmm. and i think it ends on this high note after so much weird weirdly appropriate uh conflicts of tone like I think I separate the movie into these three into these three acts. Essentially, they're not all the same length, but it's family stuff that's sort of just a little quirky, a little weird. We d- we didn't mention Tommy Chong, who's this hermit yeah. who lives on their land, like in a little house. Yeah. It's just that kind of weird stuff. And then we get the cage awesomeness with everyone sort of losing their minds in a fun way. And then we get mm-hmm. just everything going to hell, almost literally. It's these three acts that in like almost any other filmmaker would know would not know what to do with that would not know how to feed those into each other but the combination of Richard Stanley behind the camera and Nicolas Cage in front of it in just the greatest possible mm-hmm. way as well as everyone else the production design is beautiful all the rest of the actors everyone involved everyone was on the same page here and they made something really special I think I it, this this really gets better the more I think about it and I really liked it the first time I saw it so uh huge thumbs up for me overall yeah, I mean, I I don't want to like undersell how weird this is, which I think might turn some people off. So I don't know if I want to like, I just kind of want to put that as a maybe like mild disclaimer, 
Uh, I think it's, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how accessible this movie is to an audience. Like at this point, I've seen so many Nicolas Cage movies. I don't know like which ones are accessible. Like I, I understand like Mandy's probably not going to get a wide audience, but it got a wider audience than I anticipated. So this might get the same crowd. Um, and I hope it does. Cause like you said, I do think among his recent work, this is probably one of my favorites. Um, and it does give me in a good way, like a lot of like eighties body horror vibes that I really appreciate, yeah. especially like in the Cronenberg vein. Um, yeah, I was gonna, you know, I was, and I, I was gonna mention yeah. that. That's that's the kind of stuff that comes in at the end. That really, my yeah. friend uh, Jason that I saw this with, yeah, a couple of times physically reacted to what was going on uh, on the screen. Yeah. So that's the sign of Which, an effective uh, yeah. story. And a lot of good practical effects in those shots as well. I, I must say, um, yeah. especially as far as like the makeup and uh, prosthetics. But uh, yeah, I mean. I think this is one of those films like we were kind of sides, uh, sidestepping a lot of things. So we don't want to spoil anything in particular, but um, I do think a lot of people are going to have a lot of fun with this. And I do think, yeah. like you said, it, it's pretty smart about how it tackles this subject matter and like how it kind of goes about adapting a HP Lovecraft short story into a feature film. As far yeah. as like, you know, like I think people like if you're not really into it at the beginning, just kind of, give it a little bit, like give it like 20 minutes before it really kicks in. Cause it does, you know, go in the hyperdrive at the right moment. And, um, yeah. I do think once you get into its rhythm, it, it does kind of go, it, it pays off, I'd say. Um, yeah. and it weirdly feels I'd, like, I'd say give it longer than, I'd say give it longer than 20 minutes, but that's fair enough. It's there. There's yeah. certainly a point where if you're not with it, then you probably won't be with it for the rest of the movie. I will put it this well, way. If, if you knew yeah. about this movie beforehand and were curious to see it, You'll probably like it. It's if you're just sure. if you just know what you're in for. If not, you will remember this movie. I can't I can't sure. say whether or not you'll like it because I don't know anyone who's seen this just sort of like on a whim. Like, oh, there's a new there's a mm-hmm. new movie. What's it? The color and the space movie. Yeah, let's go see that. Have not come across anyone like that, so I couldn't say. But uh, I think it'll certainly have an effect, and I think there's a good chance that this could have some legs and really find a big audience. Oh, I think so too. But I think what I was trying to say is that like I think. Like if you go into it's like, oh, it's like the new, like totally weird Nicolas Cage movie and you like watch the first 40 minutes, you're going to be like, this isn't weird. Like, it's just like kind of yeah. like a normal film. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. Is yeah. that like kind of give it a little bit of time to like build up because like that's like you kind of have to be patient within that regard. But I do think it's worth the while. And weirdly, it becomes a kind of political movie. I mean, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but like having this movie come out around the same time, there's like. Uh, a bill going on you know i don't want to talk talk about too much about politics but there's like a whole thing going on with like clean water protection that um you know is being taken back and a lot of scientists are like you know should we do anything about this and just it, that was on my mind a lot while i was watching this movie i don't know if it was deliberate or just like a weird coincidental thing that was going on but especially with uh nicholas cage doing a donald trump impression throughout the film it was just like eh, my mind's my mind's rolling a little bit right now so uh yeah i'm gonna give us a b i really enjoyed this i think it's a lot of fun um and i definitely think like you said this has an appeal to be a kind of new cult classic in a way that i hope it does uh i'm gonna give this like the gentleman i'm gonna give this a really high b plus um i didn't really go too much into my negatives i think in a nutshell the last act i was talking about it goes on a little too long but that is not to take away from just how deep it gets into the existential dread of of uh, the best Lovecraft yeah. adaptation. So do not miss this one if you can. I know it's not getting a huge release, but it's out there. And so I suggest seeking it out. Yeah, no, I, I think it's actually gotten a pretty sizable release from what I can tell. I, I was surprised it didn't hit VOD yet. It seems to be like they're putting it in theaters before uh, any sort of VOD or streaming release, which I'm pretty glad about. I think this is one that pays off seeing it in theaters if you can find it. Yeah, see it with a big crowd. It's worth it. Oh, definitely. I'd, I'd agree with that 100%. I was fortunate enough to see it with a pretty sizable crowd, and they seem to be with it for, through, yeah. the wrong, through the long run, which I appreciated. We got another quick uh, mini-review for you. Uh, you saw a film yep. called Clemency, which I haven't seen yet, but I know it stars Alfre Woodard, or Alfre Woodard, potential awards uh, performance that didn't quite pan out, unfortunately, in that regard, but... It, it didn't get as much of a... as much of a... Mm, as much traction as I think they were maybe hoping it would. It was released uh, in limited release at the very end of last year. I think it was like December 27th, so right at the tail end of it, and yeah. is only just now arriving to my area. So I don't know how relevant this is to the rest of the country, but regardless, yeah, it it just came out here this weekend, so I just haven't had a chance to see it. Okay, so maybe, so maybe it's more uh, universal than I thought. 
regardless, it does star Alfred Woodard, as you said, as a prison warden who is going through a bit of a crisis of conscience because she's been the warden of this prison for years and has seen many uh, state-ordered executions go through. One of the first things we see in this movie is an execution by lethal injection goes sort of terribly wrong in a way that uh, I've never seen dramatized on film. And apparently this does happen. Uh, What happens is that the prisoner set to be executed, they can't find like a vein to put the, uh, I don't know what what the medical term is, but the needle in to do the injection. And so they have to like try a bunch of weird places like between the toes and uh, multiple different joints and stuff. And it's, it's very kitchen sink in how in, in just the details, the cold, hard details of this state sanctioned, organized, planned out uh, process of murder, essentially is what it is. That is really what the movie is about. It's about just how unfortunate the it is that the death penalty is such a prolonged like democratic process and how it takes so many years to for it to go through and it's all about alfred woodard sort of dealing with that unfortunately it kind of doesn't go that far beyond the premise it's i will i will say right off the bat that it is a very well acted movie very well produced in all technical aspects but it just doesn't have that exploration that i think i was hoping for from the from the description and from the way it was sort of pointing at the beginning it looks like it's going to be this reflective melancholy just reckoning with this process that so many places have chosen to chosen to go with as a form of punishment but it really doesn't or at least not in any way that i could pick up on maybe i missed something but there's an unknowable terseness to this movie for lack of a better word that i had trouble getting on board with and i wish i wish it had gotten a little bit more into the dirty grimy grittiness of this all i guess maybe i was maybe i was expecting something differently but yeah make no mistake clemency is worth is worth going out and seeing if you can because it's just because of the performances alone and some very memorable sequences in the middle but don't expect to like have your life changed or your eyes open so maybe that's maybe that's a lofty expectation but yeah clemency <laughs> kind of middle of the road unfortunately <laughs> what is it did i say something silly by accident no 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 just the idea of like this movie won't make you change your mind perspective but it was an okay it just like the extreme of it i guess is i found it kind of amusing i don't know i okay. it's a little late for me i'm a little loopy right now but um no i mean it's a little disappointing but i do want to see us at some point uh, at least yeah. for Alfred Wood's performance, um, I know it's playing at least in one AMC theater near me, and I know I have AMC A list right now, so it seems like a pretty uh, good one to pick for my three films again in a week. It seems like <laughs> you know, like you said, nothing life changing, but probably a solid piece of work that I can, you yeah. know, seems like reliable enough that I can get something out of it. Which, you know, that's all I really need sometimes. Um, yeah, and I do I'm recommend little, seeking um, it out, and I yeah. and I don't want to gloss over. Alfred Woodard is the lead, of course, but the the uh, prisoner, like sort of the secondary protagonist who is sentenced to death and they're, the whole movie is about sort of this appeal, appeal process to try and get it uh, revoked, uh, played by an actor named Aldous Hodge, who is fantastic in this movie. Uh, and I looked at his filmography. He's been in a ton of stuff that I that I didn't even realize. Uh, he played M.C. Wren in Straight Outta Compton, which I didn't recognize okay. from that. Yeah. So yeah, this this really really standout performance from those two in particular. Yeah, I mean I'll probably see it at some point, and I'm sure I'll talk about it once I see it. So I'll keep that on my radar, and cool. uh, I'll just talk about it real quick. Um, I saw a Netflix film, written, produced, starring, and directed by Tyler Perry called A Fall mm. from Grace. I heard about this. Uh, it. I'm surprised you did because it didn't really get a lot of marketing or uh, promotion. It just kind of. Uh, was announced, I think, a month before it came out. And it was just like, yeah. oh, yeah, we have this Tyler Perry movie. Uh, if you want to check it out, here you go. That's kind of par for the course with Netflix. It, they just sort of, yeah. like, dump it onto their service. And it's less, unless it's some huge, like, draw, like there's some creative force behind yeah. it or it's part of a franchise, they really don't sure. put any effort into into promoting any fanfare for it, which is disappointing. But we got to 
we got to know what to look for when it comes to Netflix, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going on with them, especially since like it seems like they're on the verge of bankruptcy at some point, which I don't want to you know speculate too much. But um, yeah, I, I don't know what I, that that bums me out a lot that a lot of films that I really have enjoyed from Netflix haven't uh gotten a lot of due or a lot of consideration or have been seen by a lot of eyeballs because they have failed to market them but yeah klaus is one of the most critically acclaimed movies of last year and it only became popular because of word of mouth they did not promote that at all when it first came out i mean to be fair it did get an oscar nom so it it got some that's what i'm saying i'm saying it it wasn't until after the fact that they started promoting fair enough fair enough anyway a film that's not quite like klaus is the fall from grace (laughs) you don't say so, Sam, here's the thing. Yeah. When you, um, you know, like you've seen several points where I'm like, I haven't seen this movie. I haven't seen this classic movie. I uh, haven't seen that classic movie. You want to know why I haven't seen classic movies like that? Why haven't you seen classic movies? Because for a majority of my entertainment value in my life, I've seen, say, the entire filmography of Tyler Perry. <laughs> 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 literally i've seen every movie that every theatrical film that tyler perry has directed why i don't know you've never seen goodfellas but you've seen every tyler yeah. perry movie <laughs> that is correct i've seen every tyler perry movie that he's directed now you may ask why the the short answer is i don't know the long answer is because tyler perry as a filmmaker fascinates me and it's because okay. as a filmmaker he's very progressive as far as like he has his own studio like literally the one presidential debate was in Tyler Perry studio. <laughs> like he has like a basically a talent at this point. Like, and that's not by accident. Like he is a hardworking, talented guy who made his fo- fame and fortune and that shouldn't be dismissed. And, you know, he is very progressive as far as, you know, being an African-American filmmaker and actor who, you know, through his merits and talent and, you know, ability to play to his audience has made a a substantial career for himself and it's pretty fascinating but at the same time a lot of the movies he makes are fairly regressive for a number of reasons that i don't feel comfortable divulging in too much detail and uh one such film is a fall from grace which is a like i said netflix exclusive crime drama uh the long and short of the premise is that um there is a woman currently in jail for a kind of mysterious crime that we learn about about halfway through the film there is a young lawyer who is gets assigned a case, assuming that she is going to plead guilty. But as she learns more about the case, she realizes that there is some uh, some more to the story than than people are willing to suspect. It's a very you know kind of melodramatic, over the top story. But at the same time, a lot of Tyler Perry's usual kind of melodramatic, over the top stories are more entertaining than this. Unfortunately. Uh, by and large, this is a fairly dull film from him, and that's why I don't really want to talk about it too much. Is because even compared to like something like Acrimony or Temptation, uh, which are a lot uh, goofier than this film, maybe not better, but they're a lot more willing to be absurd and over the top in a way that's like, well, I don't know what that was, but I, I have to talk about it with somebody because it just a lot of weird stuff just happened in that film, and I need to, someone yeah. else to t- confirm that this happened. Uh, this movie doesn't quite have that experience, unfortunately. It's a lot more procedural. Maybe because it was a Netflix exclusive. I don't know, but it's very flatly filmed. It performances are kind of uh, inconsistent at best, and that's uh, mostly because that's the shame. film was. And it's mostly because the film was made in literally five days. <laughs> oh no! Kidding. Uh, they shot this whole movie in five days, uh, and you can tell. <laughs> yeah, it's it's unfortunately a, a more dull effort from Tyler Perry, and I don't have any uh pride in saying that but i will say if you are at least a little bit interested the last 10 minutes of this film gets bananas in a way that i think <laughs> really? i was hoping the rest of the movie would be and i don't want to say more because it it's very spoiler friendly but uh i will say if you have to watch anything in this movie it's the end because it just goes full-on like nuts in a way that i was hoping the rest of the movie would be but unfortunately mm. that wasn't the case so so does it justify Uh, here's my question does it justify the preceding however long the movie is does it is it worth it to get to that point would you say no unfortunately that's the main thing is that it it doesn't justify in a way that like like that's the thing is like acrimony is crazy enough throughout that's like if you watch it like you know like on drunk friday or something i think you could have fun with it Mm. this movie you have to sit through a lot of boring meandering procedural stuff 
to get to the craziness in a way it's like you know it's fun if you sit through it for long enough but i don't think it's crazy enough there's like oh you have to you know watch 50 minutes of a movie or 110 minutes of a movie to get to that point unfortunately uh that's and that's a shame because like i think tyler perry can make some very insane movies it's one of those weird things where when he makes a comedy most of the time it's pretty bad when he makes a drama it can be hilariously absurd <laughs> and yeah. unfortunately that's not really the case with this film except for a few minutes at the end so uh yeah, yeah i'm gonna give it a c minus i don't really think there's any reason to check it out but i will say by be on netflix it's pretty accessible you can just click the button and watch it but if you're already on <laughs> netflix why not check out what did jack do which is 17 minutes a full yes. like hour and half shorter <laughs> and it's a lot weirder and a lot funnier than this film and you get all the craziness you want in like two minutes at least. That's compared to the ten minutes of this, where you know, not quite worth a while, unfortunately. So that's my quick and breezy review for a fall from grace. But so just kind of a nothing movie, it sounds like. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just like it is what it is, I guess. You know, the quote Joe Pesci in The Irishman. It uh, it's just what you expect, I guess, from a film made in five days. But I will say mm. uh, there is one entertaining thing throughout the film that I didn't mention, which is. Uh, because it was filmed in five days, there's a lot of like weird things you'll notice as far as like cheap production values, including an extra in a diner scene that keeps looking at the camera <laughs> in a way that once you notice it becomes highly distracting. Oh, uh, I would say if there is, if there's one scene I would recommend besides the ending, it's watching this diner scene because it's like, it's like basically that scene from a, the, the King of Comedy where like the guy in the background is like mimicking, uh, Robert De Niro. I don't know if you know what scene I'm talking about in that film, but I do, it's yeah. like that, but but it's like in a very more surreal sense because like the film is very uh, cold and procedural before that, and then you just get this one random scene where a guy seems to be unaware that he is being filmed, and he keeps looking at the camera like, "Am I in a movie right now? What's going on?" Uh, so it's like a mistake I, I would, that they didn't feel the need to rectify in some way. They're just like, "Screw it! It doesn't matter anyway." I think they pulled a Clint Eastwood and they had two takes for each scene. And they're just like <laughs> the first time there's like, Hey, can you not look at the camera? You know, it, it's kind of distracting. And then the second time he just kept doing it. It's like, whatever we had to get to scene 34. We can't do this again. So that's my prediction, yeah. I guess, but, uh, or my estimation or assumption, but, uh, to wrap up this show, you have one film that I've heard the title of, but I don't know anything about, which is VH. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, what is VHS? VHS is... There are a lot of movies that are described as a love letter to blank, which is which is usually meant to justify how sort of disjointed and weirdly centered on one very specific topic something is. Uh, I think last year of the movie Yesterday, which was just this huge mixed bag that really kind of amounted to nothing in the grand scheme of things, but was was called a love letter to the Beatles, so therefore uh, it's hard to get too mad about it. In a similar vein, VH Yes is, in a way, uh, and it sort of dev- devolves into something else at the end, in a good way, it's a, it's a love letter to the days of VHS home movies and Betamax home movies. Um, the first thing we see is an old degraded tape of a wedding. And we see in the bottom corner, it says like the early 1980s. And then we cut to the same VHS tape, which we learned is being recorded over, uh, taking place in Christmas Day, 1987. And we realize, oh, this child, uh, whose name I'm blanking on right now, but it's like it's just like Kevin or something. It's just this kid in 1987 gets a camcorder for his birthday and is just having all the fun in the world with it, uh, not realizing that he's taping over his parents' wedding video. So right off the bat, we know we're in for at least a at least a funny movie. And what follows is the entire VHS tape being intermittently used on in the last week of 1987. What we get is a couple of things. First thing is a snapshot of this young boy's life, uh, just going around town uh, with his friends, messing with the camcorder, lighting fireworks and, and things of that nature, going to find like a haunted sorority house in their town. And the other, like almost two thirds of the movie, a lot of it is 
the VHS camcorder being plugged into a television via some sort of auxiliary cable, and we just get to see what was playing on TV in 1987. Now, this this was not filmed in 1987. It was filmed now, and or now in the grand scheme of things, and it's being made to replicate sort of the just no real passion or excitement feeling of the the stuff that you might have found on TV in that day. We get sort of a ripoff of Painting with Bob Ross called Painting with Joan where this uh where this woman is clearly just doing like an exaggerated impression of Bob Ross saying like and now we're going to let our paint breathe with the summer winds and we're going to expose it to the elements and then we're just going to dab it a little bit, dab it with the paintbrush, put maybe put some over here, combine the colors very nicely and then we're just going to add some snow to these mountains. It's clearly meant to be satirizing that kind of stuff. We see kind of an antiques roadshow type thing with this very disinterested host who's just totally not having what the guests are bringing in. Like, well, this is a folding chair. I'm really not sure why you brought this in. And eventually uh, he, he reunites with an old high school bully, which makes for a really funny scene. Uh, that's just to name a couple. It's all about sort of capturing the fun spirit of that time and that uh, that medium where a lot of home movies were being churned out. And it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a lean 72 minutes and it does not overstep or understep its bounds in any way, shape or form. It doesn't really amount to much, but it's not supposed to. It's just it's just supposed to be sort of replicating this bygone era that and I was born in '99, so this is like completely alien to me. I really got a sense of the of the time and place in this, so it's really impeccable in the way that it recreates those kind of things. It's a lot of fun, and it's been around the festival circuit. It got a tiny theatrical release in in uh, where I am the previous week, and it's out of theaters already by now. But if you can track this down, and I'm sure they'll be pushing to get some sort of uh, wider release or a VOD release or something of that nature. Uh, check this out. It's really unique and it's, and it's really exciting to watch. Cool. What's the grade you gave? Oh yeah. Uh, I'm going to go solid B, maybe kind of a low B, but, uh, regardless and regardless of that, it is worth recommending nonetheless. So check out VH. Yes, if you can. And that's V H Y E S by the way, which at first, before I knew what it was about, I thought it was like Vise. Like what is Vise? I'm not even sure. But that's what it is. It's meant to be a pun on uh, VHS. Uh, yeah, I'll have to keep it on my radar. I didn't, like I said, I've only heard the title, and then like a couple people passingly mentioned that they saw it. But that sounds a lot more intriguing than I was anticipating. So I'm excited to check that yeah. out. It's worth se- it's worth seeking out. Um, that's our main ep. Uh, we have some stuff coming up next week, including Gretel and Hansel. Like I was telling Sam before, this is directed by Oz Perkins, which is the son of Anthony Perkins, probably best known for playing the lead role in Psycho. Uh, We also have the rhythm section with Blake Lively, which was, uh, I think, delayed for a little bit. Um, I think because they had to stop production because Blake Lively had an injury of some sort on set. But it's finally coming out uh, this weekend, or this upcoming weekend. Uh, It looks intriguing enough. I'm kind of curious about this. I'm also curious about Greta and Hansel, but not quite sure what to expect with either film. And then we yeah. also have The Assistant, which is currently playing uh, in Sundance. I believe it's getting a limited release next week. I know John has seen mm-hmm. this one, so he'll talk about it. It looks very intriguing. I saw the trailer before Queen Slim last week, and I was anticipating it. And looks uh, looks like it's going to be a pretty haunting film, so I'm not quite sure yeah. uh, how wide a release is going to get. But it's definitely on my radar since then. It does look interesting, yeah. Yeah, and then there's one... Um, I don't know if you've seen a lot of trailers for this one recently, but maybe just because I'm seeing a lot of uh, independent films, but I've been seeing the trailer for The Traitor a lot recently. Can't say that I have. That's not ringing a bell. Yeah, it looks pretty intriguing. I don't know a lot about it other than what I've seen from the trailer, but it seems to be getting a limited release next week and then probably getting water from there. But um, hmm. the trailer is very... I mean, you'll you'll know when you see the trailer because they... Uh, like are treating it like this is the movie event of the century. <laughs> Bold uh, red uh, lettering comes up, and it's just like, from master director so-and-so, and it's just like very, like, like a lot of, like, Russian uh, iconography comes up and things like that, and it's it's very intriguing oh, wow. from what I've seen, but... 
Uh, the trailer has a lot. The trailer has a lot of confidence. I'll say it has a lot of chutzpah. It's like a lot of like <laughs> CR movie. You won't regret it. So I hope that's the case. Uh, yeah. But with that, um, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Stitcher. And you can also hang out with us at Facebook and Twitter. And you can email us at email us at cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And Sam, once again, thank you so much for joining us. It's a lot of fun, of as always, to talk to you about the movies. And especially the crop we've had this week is a lot of fun variety of films. And it seems like you enjoyed quite a few of them, which I'm very happy and excited to see. Yeah, it was not what I was expecting, especially from the yeah. notoriety that I've, I've heard of January. But yeah, this is the first year where I'm really going to make a concerted effort to like go out and see as much as humanly possible for the entirety of the year. So I say we're off to a good start. Yeah, it seems like it. So I'm excited, too. Uh, with that, from the Internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Will. And from the Internet, Colorado, I'm Sam. And remember, or, well, sorry, I was doing my uh, <laughs> A-Ogre thing. Uh, sorry about that. I was I was going to do the outro for my other podcast, A-Ogre, Toots Ogre. Uh, so bye, oh everybody. Goodness. Can we keep that in, please? <laughs> <laughs>